Hi, Vet Girl here today with Dr. Chris Byers, faculty criticalist, internist at Midwest Veterinary Specialty Hospital. And today he's going to be telling us everything we need to know about IMHA in seven minutes or less. IMHA tends to be one of those diseases that either makes the hair on the back of a clinician's neck stand up, induce heart palpitations, or just send you into a state of anxiety. But it's really not that difficult a disease to diagnose. What is challenging is knowing what's the best protocol for treating this potentially life-threatening disease. And we'll get it right out of the way right now. The simple answer to the best treatment question is, we don't know what it is. One of the things that I feel every clinician should remember is that there are specific criteria that one needs to satisfy to make an accurate diagnosis of immune-mediated hemolytic anemia. And a very simplistic approach is just to remember the name of the disease. There are three components to the name, immune mediation, hemolysis, and anemia. Now, obviously, documenting anemia is pretty dang easy. You can either simplistically measure uh, pack cell volume, or you can run a full, complete blood count either at your in-house laboratory or at a reference veterinary laboratory. Next, you need to prove whether this patient's anemia is immune-mediated. Well, how can we do that? One of the most simplistic tests that one can do bedside is something called a saline autoagglutination test. You take a drop of blood from the patient and several drops of saline, mix them together, and evaluate them both macroscopically and microscopically for agglutination. It's important not to confuse agglutination with rouleau formation, which is a completely normal pattern of coin stacking, for lack of a better term. You could also run a direct Coombs test that will measure either IgG, IgM, or complement. Or you can look for spherocytosis, which are kind of like the Pac-Man cells. If everybody remembers the cartoon Pac-Man, he and his enemies injured each other by taking a chunk out of themselves. And that's basically what the immune system is doing to red blood cells. And the cell that's left over after having a chunk taken out of it is called a spherocyte. Spherocytes are also potentially powerful in that they are also an indicator of hemolysis. So if you find spherocytes, you have now just put two checks in the proverbial boxes for both immune mediation and hemolysis. Other potential signs of hemolysis include bilirubinuria and hemoglobinuria. We need to talk a little bit about what type of immunoglobulins are involved in this disease process. For dogs, IgG is the most common immunoglobulin. Currently, we've studied about 255 dogs across several studies, and IgG was the sole immunoglobulin or occasionally mixed with a few others in approximately 90% of those patients. IgM was the second most common. Why do we focus on these immunoglobulins? Well, there are a few studies that say this is prognostic information. On the other hand, there are some studies, most recently a study published by Dr. Ken Harkin out of Kansas State University, that showed there really was no difference in survival 
survival time, regardless of which immunoglobulin was involved in the patient's disease process. We also have to talk a little bit about primary versus secondary immune-mediated hemolytic anemia. As clinicians, most of us tend to hate the term primary disease because it also gets tagged another term, idiopathic. And we all know that just simply means we don't know what to tell the parent. We also know that to make a diagnosis of an idiopathic disorder or primary disorder, we have to rule out all possible secondary disorders. And right now in dogs and in cats, those secondary disorders can traditionally be clumped into four major categories, antimicrobials, vector-borne diseases, cancers, and vaccines. Once you've made a diagnosis of a secondary disease process, you need to treat that disease process because the immune-mediated component of the disease will not come into control till you have effectively addressed the primary disorder. For example, an animal with lymphoma will not likely respond as well to clinical therapy until you start treating that patient's lymphoma primarily. But for dogs, the vast majority of them are living with primary immune-mediated hemolytic anemia. And in kitties, perineoplastic secondary immune mediation is most common. Once you've decided that your patient is living with, for example, primary immune-mediated hemolytic anemia, you now need to think about what drug or drugs you're going to use. So we all know that corticosteroids are the mainstay therapy for these patients. Please remember your doses. For example, if you're going to use dexamethasone, remember that that drug is at least seven times more potent than prednisone. Some patients are going to respond effectively to just prednisone alone, but I think everybody listening to this podcast knows that there are patients that need more help than just prednisone alone. And so what drug do you pull off the shelf? Well, that requires you to have a little bit of an understanding about what is contributing to this immune attack. Specifically, we have cells called T-cells, and there are currently four sets of T-cells that have been identified, Th1, Th2, Th17, and T-regulatory cells. And it's not important for you to know all the specifics about those four different subsets, but recognize that we have medicines commonly available to us that either help us prevent T-cells from replicating or help us prevent T-cells from producing their pro-inflammatory products. So the classic example of a medication that may be pulled off the shelf is azathioprine or Imuran. It is a powerful medication and has been shown in some studies to be quite effective with this disease process. But it's not a benign drug and there are major potential side effects with it, including gastrointestinal upset, bone marrow dyscrasias, hepatotoxicity, and idiosyncratic pancreatitis. There has been some discussions on the list serves for both the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine and the American College of Veterinary Dermatology discussing issues about brand name azathioprine and generic azathioprine with some concerns that adverse events anecdotally seem to be more common with the generic form. Again, that is simply anecdotal information and has not been proven in a prospective controlled study, but 
it's worth noting. Cyclosporine is another medication that may be used. It has a few advantages in that it's not associated with hepatotoxicity and it's not associated with myelosuppression, but it can cause gastrointestinal upset. The major limiting factor for cyclosporine is that it needs to be administered in its modified or microemulsified form. So that means cyclosporine in the form of neural or atopica should be used, while the sand immune form of cyclosporine is not recommended because it has at most a 30% bioavailability in dogs. There are newer immunomodulating medications, for example, mycophenolate mofetil, luflunamide, and even something called liposomal clodronate that have all shown promise in this disease process. We do have some positive case reports using mycophenolate and using leflunamide, but liposomal clodronate, which is basically a medicine that allows you to perform what has been called a chemical splenectomy, is still in its testing phases at Colorado State University, but the data initially is quite encouraging. We also have more advanced potential interventions, including transfusion with intravenous immunoglobulin globulin G, performing splenectomy, and even performing plasmapheresis if you're near a facility that can perform that type of intervention. Aside from providing immunomodulatory medications, one also needs to be cognizant of the most common cause of morbidity and mortality with this disease, which is thromboembolic complications. How to most effectively address those thromboembolic complications is not known at this time. Do we use anticoagulants like unfractionated heparin or low molecular weight heparin? Do we use antiplatelet aggregation medications like aspirin or clopidogrel or abciximab? Maybe we need to use a combination of antiplatelet aggregation medications and anticoagulant medications. These are all questions that have yet to be answered, but so desperately need answers. So at this point, I'd like you to remember two major things. One, don't forget how to properly diagnose this disease. Document anemia, evidence of immune mediation, and hemolysis. And two, Remember that there's no right or best protocol for treating these patients yet, but take a deep breath and realize that you have a lot of medications at your disposal to potentially help these patients fight and survive this potentially life-threatening disease.